0: Our scripture passage for today comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. (coughs) Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks be to God. Hey, good morning. Welcome all of you here in person, joining us for our in-person service here at St. John's. And of course, we welcome you, those who are watching on our live stream YouTube channel. We hope and pray that you had a endurable week in spite of the fluctuating weather that now culminated on this rainy day. Let's ask now God to bless us as we prepare to hear his word. Please pray with me. Father, we ask that your grace, your mercy would continue to be upon us. For Lord, there is not a moment where we are not in constant need of it. Father, without your grace, we are utterly lost. Without your mercy, Lord, we are truly cursed. Father, it is through the grace and mercy of our great God that we have the hope, that we have peace, that we have the ability to trust in your great love for us. And so, God, would you enable us to be inspired by your spirit as you speak through us in the preaching of the word. Lord, you know what we've had to endure, and we ask now that you administer and speak to us, refreshing our weary souls, For we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, it goes without saying that this past year was perhaps one of the most difficult ones to which we have all had to endure in so many different ways. Amen? And the crazy thing about it is that it's still not over. We're still in the midst of a lot of craziness and chaos with no clear end in sight. And for us as a community, it's been especially hard given the fact that we are predominantly of the Asian American variety. And of course, I'm speaking of the ongoing attacks, assaults, and aggressions that have been done against those within our particular ethnic group. Not too long ago, the newspaper Guardian came out with an article that stated from March 2020 to February 2021, there have been up to 3,800 racially motivated incidents against Asian Americans. Again, that's close to 3,800 racially motivated incidents against our people group. And one of the questions that I have been wrestling with is this. How do we, as members of the Asian American community, but most importantly, as the Christian community, how are we to respond? How are we to react to all of this? It is a question that I found particularly relevant recently in light of my own children's recent admission of their own worries, of their own fears of those whom they love, namely their grandparents, their aunts, their uncles, even their mother and father. And as I have wrestled prayerfully with this question, I found myself being confronted by God in a way that, honestly, I didn't want to be confronted with. Because I'll be brutally honest with you, I am frustrated. I am furious when I think about the predominant victims of all of these crimes. The elderly, people who remind me of those who cared for me, loved me, looked after me while my parents were working their respective jobs. And by worst, I really wish I was another type of John. You see, I am currently John May, the lead pastor of New Creation Fellowship. But sometimes, I wish I was John Wick, you know, world-renowned international assassin. Because I want blood. I want payback. I want revenge. And because this was the state of my heart, I was not in any way surprised when the Spirit of God led me back to a text personally that compelled me to lead you back to that same text pastorally. I want to take a look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42, because there Jesus is going to talk about something that I'm sure is relevant to all of us right now, understandably so, and that is the desire for revenge. How do we, as God's people who are also Asian American, how are we to respond? How are we to react? to the understandable, natural reaction that we might all have right now, and that is to get revenge. And so with that established, three things I want to share with you in today's word. First, we're going to talk about the mentality of revenge, then we're going to talk about the denial of revenge, and then we're going to end it with the response instead of revenge. The mentality of revenge, the denial of revenge, and then... Finally, the response instead of revenge. Let's begin with the first point, the mentality of revenge. Read again with me verse 38 of our passage where it says the following. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. Now, almost immediately, all of you will recognize that statement, right? Even if those of you who didn't grow up going to church, even those of you who have no familiarity with the Bible because that phrase, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, is such a common phrase we hear so often in our culture today, Right? We read about it in books. We come across that wording in movies, on television shows. We hear it sung on songs or rap songs particularly, right? Which is why so many people tend to be shocked to discover that its origin is in the Bible. You see, even though 50 Cent may have rapped about it with his crew G unit, it was the God of the Bible who coined this phrase and the meaning behind it. And that is the lex telionis. The lex telionis, now I know that sounds like some secret weapon on the latest Marvel movie, but it's actually Latin for law of retribution. Law of retribution, and what this law of retribution teaches is that when someone does something wrong, when they commit a crime, their punishment must fit the crime. Again, the law of retribution teaches that when a person does something wrong, when they commit a crime, their punishment must fit fit the crime. Now notice what I did not say. I did not say that the punishment must be identical to the crime, but it must fit the crime. And this is a distinction that I want to make sure that you guys grasp, because far too often, too many people think That the lex teleonis, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, literally means that the punishment must be identical to the crime. So, for example, let's say someone comes up to you, punches you in the mouth, knocking out your two front teeth. Many people think eye for eye, tooth for tooth literally means that you can therefore go up to that person and knock out their two front teeth as well. But that is not what it says. No, no. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth means that if someone knocked out your two front teeth, that person must be punished in a way that is comparable to the level of suffering, to the level of loss that you've had to endure through your two teeth being knocked out, which in most cases was financial recompense, financial compensation. The only time that this law was to where the punishment was identical to the crime was in the case of first-degree murder, where a person intentionally, in cold blood, takes another person's life. There, the lex talionis says, okay, only in this instance may the punishment be identical to the crime. You must take that person's life as well because no amount of financial compensation could make up for the loss of the value of human life. But in all other instances, the punishment must fit the crime rather than be identical to the crime. Now, here's the question. Why did God do it this way? Why did he uh, model this law to where that would be the outcome? Well, you need to understand something, that when God gave this law to humanity, humanity was crazy violent. I mean, crazy violent i'm talking about game of thrones barbarism violent to where if a person got their two front teeth knocked out the response surprisingly or unsurprisingly would be they would chop off the person's head as a quote to get even but of course it wasn't even it was escalation It was overindulgence. And so that's why when God created his people, the nation of Israel, he gave this law to his people so that such escalation of violence, such bloodlust would not occur to where the nation would self-destruct. In other words, God gave this law eye for eye, tooth for tooth, so that his people would not be driven by personal revenge, the desire for personal revenge. You see? But here's the problem. By the time God came into the world as Jesus Christ, that's exactly how his people interpreted this law. They thought that eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, meant that God gave his people the right to get personal revenge. The question is why? Well, it turns out it was because the spiritual leaders of the day taught that was the case. Take a listen to how one Bible scholar, Tom Constable, puts it. He writes, quote, The Jews, through Pharisaic teaching, tended to view the law of retaliation, or the lex telionis, As God's permission to take vengeance, that was never, he goes on to say, God's intention, end quote. You see, when people back then read their Torah, when they sat in synagogue, they were told that God gave them the green light to take personal revenge if anyone harmed you, if anyone hurt you, if anyone wronged you or wounded you or your loved ones. And of course, it doesn't take a genius to figure out why this misunderstanding occurred Because think about the last time that you've ever desired revenge, personal revenge. Did you ever feel like, ooh, this feels so wrong, this feels so inappropriate, this doesn't feel right, this feels unjust, this feels unfair? No, just the opposite, amen? When you've struggled with a desire for revenge, you felt that it was right. You felt that it was fair. You felt that it was just. There's an interesting website called revengelady.com. And there, the author of the website gives various reasons and lists them out as to why you and I, we should be driven by a desire for personal revenge and why we should indulge in it. Take a listen to some of the reasons she gives. Number one, she says, get mad, then get even. It's justice, plain and simple. Number two, revenge is healthy. Don't listen to those mealy mouths who tell you otherwise. You're getting icky, poisonous feelings out of your systems once and for all. What could be healthier? Number three, remember karma is a good thing. Be sure everyone gets his or hers in this lifetime. You're helping to bring the scales of justice back into balance and restore order to the universe. Number four, I like this one, revenge is excellent self-therapy. It's far cheaper than a therapist and much healthier than pigging out on a box of donuts. then finally, number five, always aim your revenge where it hurts the most. Go right for the jugular. Notice how this lady describes revenge as something that is right, something that is fair, something that is just. And I can't help but to wonder how many of you guys, as I was reading this out loud, inwardly said, amen. Kind of like I did. (laughs) Because that's the mindset of revenge. The mindset of revenge is this is right? It feels right, therefore it cannot be wrong. But here's the thing. In just a moment, our Lord Jesus Christ is going to approach us the only way that he can, and he's going to say, guys, this desire for revenge, you cannot indulge it. In fact, you must deny it. Now you hear that, and you're thinking, Lord, why? Well, this leads me to my next point. The denial of revenge. Read again verse 39 down to verse 42 where Jesus goes on to say, But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Okay, come on back. Now, out of all the words of Jesus recorded in scripture, these words are probably the most misunderstood, therefore the most misapplied that has caused so much unnecessary pain and suffering. Let me explain why. Most people, when they read these words of Christ, think that what Jesus is saying is that in order to be a true devout follower of his, you must basically let people walk all over you. In other words, you can never push back, you can never protest, you can never resist Those who are harming and hurting, wounding, and destructing havoc into your life and to your loved ones. Instead, you should just be passive. You should be non-resistant. You should be compliant. You should be non-violent. In fact, some Christian traditions will take this idea to such an extreme that they'll go on to say that in order to be a true follower of Jesus, you cannot partake in any sort of occupation that would allow you to use violence force and coercion so for example certain christian christian traditions will say christians should never serve in the military they should never be on the police force they should never serve in any sort of legal system process because those kinds of jobs permit the use of coercion and force even violence because they point to what jesus is saying here now what do i think of that view let me tell you right now it's wrong it's absolutely wrong because that is not what jesus is teaching okay what is Jesus saying here in these verses that I just read? Well, I kind of already told you my first point. Remember, the main idea behind these words of Christ is about not taking personal revenge. In other words, Jesus is saying to us in these words that this whole law of eye for eye, tooth for tooth, that is something that you cannot personally enforce with your own individual life. In other words, you cannot take this law into your own individual hands where you act as judge, jury, and executioner against those who have harmed you, who have hurt you, okay? You don't have that right to enforce this law by your own individual self. No, that right belongs to somebody else. And who is that somebody else? Well, the Bible tells us it's the government. It's the state. Consider what the Apostle Paul once wrote, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid if he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Here Paul makes it clear, crystal clear, <clears throat> that it's only the state, it's only the government who was allowed to enforce the lex talionis, the eye for eye, tooth for tooth law. Not you, not me, no individual person now i know you hear that and instinctively it just feels off because think about it it's not the arresting officer who was wounded it was you it was not the prosecuting attorney who was wronged it was you it was not the judge whose sentences that was grieved it was you so why does god create this situation to where he essentially is denying us the ability to take personal revenge to where he puts other people responsible for getting justice for us Well, believe it or not, there are two good reasons why God does this. Reason number one, if you attempt to take this law into your own hands, you could be wrong. You could be wrong. Case in point, back in 1984, there was a young woman by the name of Jennifer Thompson, college student, who was brutally assaulted in her own apartment. And as she was being attacked, she made the mental note of trying to memorize every unique feature about her assailant. You know, hair color, eye shape, facial features, unique scars, tattoos, so that if she survived this attack, she would be able to later identify her attacker. And sure enough, a few days later, she was able to point out, both through photo identification and through a police line, what was his name? Ronald Cotton. Ronald Cotton. And through trial... And through sentencing, Ronald Cotton was put away to jail for a long, long time. Two years go by into his sentence, however, and his lawyer appeals his case, stating, hey, there's another suspect involved in this crime. We think this person did it. But when Jennifer Thompson went back on the stand, she perfectly identified Ronald Cotton as her assailant. And so Ronald Cotton was sent right back into prison. 2,000 rolls along, along with the advent of a new law enforcement experiment known as DNA testing and to everyone's shock Ronald Cotton was not the attacker it was the suspect that his lawyer stated was the real attacker for 16 years 16 years an innocent man was sent to jail let's change up the story a little bit though let's say instead of going to the police Jennifer Thompson decided to take this law eye for eye tooth for tooth into her own hands and basically shoot this man in his own home. In her mind, at that moment in 1984, she would probably feel completely vindicated, justified to do such a thing. Right? She would have thought she'd gotten justice for herself. But in the reality of it all, she did not get justice. She would not have gotten justice. She would have committed her crime, her, her own crime, you see? One of the reasons why God designs this law to only be enforced through the state is that it minimizes the danger of false justice and it promotes the greater probability of getting true justice. You see? That's the first reason. The second reason is something that maybe most of us aren't aware of and yet we especially need to know. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it, to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Here the Apostle Paul tells us that as children of God, we have a promise that we need to hold on to and we can hold on to by virtue of who we are in Christ. When people wrong us, when people wound us, when people harm and hurt us, we have the confidence of knowing that our God, our Heavenly Father, he's going to get revenge. He is the one who is going to get justice for us. On top of what the state does, he will get vengeance for his people because he is our father, we are his children. And by virtue of that bond of love, he will ensure that we get justice, justice that is more appropriate, justice more satisfying than any justice that we could ever get for ourselves. Let me explain with a very imperfect and crude illustration, but I think it will hit home. Let's say one of my five children gets you know, assaulted by some adult stranger, right? Do you think as their father that I'm going to get justice for them? Oh, you better believe it. Oh, you can ensure that I will get justice, right? Do you think I'll leave it up to my kids to get justice for themselves? No. You know why? Because they're not capable of getting the level of justice that is required, that is demanded at the level of violation and violence that has happened, right? Right? They don't have the capability. They don't have the resources. They don't have, to my satisfaction, the level of justice that I demand as their loving father. And that same principle applies to us, folks. God is so powerful. He is so scary that the level of justice that he will unleash, not only is it righteous, but it's far more appealing, far more satisfying than any justice that we could attempt for ourselves in spite of what we may think in spite of what we think we could do. And when you understand that, then you understand the other reason why God does not want us to live out the desire of a personal revenge. Because when we give in to the desire for revenge, we're essentially saying to God, you don't exist. Or your love for me as father, it's insignificant. Right? When you act out this desire to get revenge, you are essentially denying that your God is your heavenly Father, you see? And not only is that displeasing to God, it's also disrespectful to him because of the fact it's not true, you see? So there you have two reasons, our Lord Jesus says, as to why we are not to give in to the desire for revenge. But of course, that leaves us with a conundrum. God, you're telling me that this desire to get even, this desire to get payback, this desire to get personal revenge is something I can't give into. so what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to respond? How am I supposed to react when I am wronged, when I am wounded, when I'm harmed and hurt, or my loved ones? What do I do? Well, let me try and answer that by going to my final point, the response instead of revenge. Let's read one more time our passage, starting in verse 39. It says, As I said just a moment ago, many people misunderstand these words of Christ to where they think God is saying, let people walk all over you, let people sin against you. But I just said to you, that is not what Jesus is saying. What What he's saying is that we cannot take personal revenge. We cannot give in to the desire for personal revenge where we take the law of retaliation into our own hands, okay? But you know what? That's not all Jesus is saying. He's saying something else. He's making another crucial point that we need to grasp. And you know what that point is? It's basically this. By telling us to turn the other cheek, by telling us to give the cloak, by telling us to go the extra mile, Jesus is also saying, do not be like your victimizers. Let me say that again. By telling us to turn the other cheek, give the cloak, and go the extra mile, Jesus is saying, do not be like those who have victimized you. You know, psychology has taught us that hurt people hurt people, and what I mean by that is people who have been assaulted, people who have been attacked, people who have been abused, in most instances, end up abusing, attacking, and assaulting other people. Studies have shown that children who grew up in violent homes end up becoming violent themselves either in school or later on on the streets. Studies go on to say that adults who abuse little kids, in most instances, 99% of the time, they were abused as little children. Over and over, we see this vicious cycling of victims turning into their victimizers to where they end up doing the same damage that was done to them. And Jesus is telling us here in these verses, don't let that happen to you. Do not turn into your victimizers. Do not be like them. Why? For two reasons. Reason number one. Whatever moral high ground that you have gotten due to your victimization, you immediately lose the moment you become like your victimizer. Take a closer look at the words of Jesus. He says, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Do you see how Jesus is trying to get across the idea that you would rather remain a victim than turn into a victimizer by raising your own hand to slap back? When Jesus says, if someone sues you to take your tunic, give them the cloak, do you not see the idea of being so stubborn and refusing to be like the person who is suing you? When Jesus says, if someone makes you walk a mile, walk another mile, do you not see the idea of going above and beyond to ensure that you're nothing like the person who's making you walk in the first place? See, Jesus is trying to get across the idea of not forfeiting our rightful demand to God to get justice for us if we become like our victimizers. The moment you become like those who have victimized you, right, you have forfeited your rightful demand of God to get justice for you. And this segues into the second reason why Jesus says, Don't be like your victimizers. Don't become like them. Because fundamentally, who are we supposed to be like? We're supposed to be like Jesus. Christian, hear me when I say this. The mission in our life is not to be like those who hurt us. Our mission in life is to be like the one who was hurt for us. Let me say that again. The mission in our lives is not to be like those who have hurt us. The mission of our life is to be like the one who was hurt for us. We are to be like Jesus. It is no coincidence that Jesus uses these three assaults. Struck on the face, your clothes taken away from you through a mock trial and being forced to walk many miles. Because guess what Jesus endured to save us from our sins? Jesus was slapped across the face during his mock trial. It was at the result of this trial of being quote-unquote sued by the high priest that his clothes were stripped away from him. It was Jesus who was forced to walk many miles carrying a wooden cross that ended him with his death on Calvary's hill. And one of the reasons why Jesus let all this happen is so that you would know how to be like him when you are assaulted, when you are attacked, when you are abused. Let me explain what I mean. The cross teaches us many things, okay? One thing the cross teaches us is that God will never let sin go unpunished. The cross teaches us that God will never let sin go unpunished. Look at the cross. What what does it show you? It shows sin being punished, right? That is the forefront of what the cross teaches. That is what the unleashing of God's wrath on the person on the cross reveals. It reveals that our God is a God of justice. He is a God of holiness. He is a God of law. And he will not let sin go unanswered, unpunished, okay? But here's the thing. That's not all that the cross teaches. The cross also teaches that not only is there punishment of sin, there's also the offer of forgiveness for sin. There's a reason why it was Jesus who underwent the wrath of God so that we would be forgiven. You see? There is a reason why Jesus suffered the punishment of God so that we could have a reconciled relationship to God. So putting all this together, what does all this mean practically? It means this. The next time you are wrong, the next time you are wounded, the next time you are hurt and harmed, right, you have to be like Jesus first by ensuring sin gets punished. The next time someone wrongs you, commits a crime against you or your loved ones, if you want to be like Jesus in that situation, you better make sure that those sins, those crimes are answered for and it's punished because our God, our Jesus, that's what he did. And we're to be like him. That means you do protest. You do call the cops. You do prosecute. You use all the biblical legitimate means God has given to you to get justice. Okay? But that's not all. Because it doesn't end there. After punishment is set, you are also to be like your God by seeking to forgive. After all... Jesus didn't leave it at just punishment. He also offered forgiveness, right? And that is what we are to do as well. The cross makes it clear. Before there is forgiveness, there is punishment of sin. And when there is punishment of sin, there is always forgiveness that is offered after. You must have both. If you focus on one and forget the other, whatever one you focus on, you're no longer being like, Jesus. Do you see? Do you understand? Now it's at this point some of you are confused. You're really confused because you were taught that the whole purpose of being forgiven is so that you wouldn't have to be punished, right? Pastor, isn't that what you always teach in the gospel point, right? That because Jesus was punished on our behalf, we're not going to be punished like him. Instead, we're going to be forgiven. Doesn't the whole idea of being forgiven? preclude the possibility of being punished? Hey, I understand why you're confused. Let me see if I can clarify it for you right now. Remember what I said in the second point. We as individuals, we don't have the right to take the law of retaliation into our own hands and enforce it for ourselves. Who does that right belong to? It belongs to the state, right? And because that is true, you know what else that also means? It also means you and I don't have the individual right to forgive someone legally for crimes committed, even crimes committed against you. Here's something you need to understand, and maybe this is the first time you are hearing this, so I want you to pay attention. The Bible teaches us that earthly punishment is designed by God to serve as a warning, as a deterrence to eternal punishment. Okay? Earthly punishment is designed by God to warn those who are committing these sins, hey, if you don't change, if you don't get better, if you don't turn away, what you're tasting now is nothing compared to what will await for you. That's what parents are teaching their young kids when they punish them. That's what the state is trying to teach through criminals when they are being punished. In many ways, earthly punishment is an imploring to those who are committing these crimes, turn away. Okay, just let this little taste be so repulsive of you to where you want to go in the other direction, to where you live a different life, hopefully be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus. You see? So when a Christian is adamant about ensuring earthly punishment, you're actually giving an opportunity for people to respond to the gospel. You see? It is a earthly manifestation of the conviction of sin that is required before there is repentance and faith. In many ways, by ensuring justice is served now on earth, you give the opportunity for mercy to be experienced later in heaven. So there is no inconsistency, there is no hypocrisy for when a Christian stands for justice and calls out for it. Because it is a practical segue for people to be confronted by their sins and be pointed to the one who could save them from their sins. Do you guys understand that? Do you guys understand now what Jesus is really saying and what he is not? We are to be like him. We are to be for justice. And we are to always offer forgiveness. The question is, which of these two? Have you neglected? Because it's time now to embrace both and be like your beloved Savior. I want to do something a little different before I just close in prayer right now. And I want to ask you guys to pray with me, to pray for our city, to pray for our country, to pray for our world. First, I want you to pray for all victims this past year. And I'm not just talking about Asian victims. I'm talking about all victims right now. And I want you to pray for them. I want you to pray that they would not give in to the temptation to indulge in personal revenge and become like their victimizers. And when you're done praying for them, I also want you to pray for victimizers. I want you to pray that when they experience earthly punishment, they would be warned of eternal punishment and turn away and instead turn to the Lord Jesus Christ so they can truly be reconciled and forgiven. Let's spend a few moments right now just lifting up our voices in prayer. Let's pray right now. Father, I just pray that Father, as we have heard today's word and as we have lifted up these prayers, oh God, would you help us to truly live it out by the power of your spirit. Father, we have all experienced being hurt, being harmed, wounded, and wronged by so many people for such ridiculous reasons. And Lord, in solidarity with the way in which you have created us to be, we grieve with our fellow Asian American members and we grieve with all who have been victimized in this world. And we ask that we would not give in to the temptation, the demonic temptation of taking personal revenge, of trying to enforce this divine law that you did not give us the right to enforce, but that we would entrust in you and your work through the state, but also in the promise that you will one day fulfill of getting vengeance for us so that we would not succumb and be like our victimizers. And Lord, we also pray for the victimizers of this world, whether they be murderers, rapists, racists, people who are just so hateful and spiteful. Father, we pray that your justice on earth would be executed so that by your grace they would receive mercy in heaven after, that they would respond to earthly punishment and avoid the eternal punishment through their Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray that as a church, that we would stand boldly for justice, but also advocate for forgiveness for those who have harmed us. Help us to be this way by becoming you, Lord Jesus, like becoming like you and living out your example that you have shown to us through the cross. Hear us now so that through us, through this community, and through the witness of the church global, we can show a better way than just personal revenge. We ask that you would hear us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We're now going to give the Lord